Spirit-filled ability is what we were talking about last time when we had to stop because we ran out of minutes in the message. And it was here in John chapter 7, looking at verses 10 down through 18. Jesus, in this place in the Gospel of John, has, by the perfect timing of God, waited upon God as a man, of course, being God, it's always so difficult to even say such things. But that's the mystery of the Incarnation, 100% God, 100% man. But his brothers, as you remember, going up to the Feast of Tabernacles, wanted him to go right on up with them, right down through the Jordan Valley where they all would have gone, marching along with all the caravans of pilgrims, hundreds, thousands of them, perhaps even millions, crowding into the city of Jerusalem at that time of the year. The uh, Feast of Tabernacles was their high, high feast of the year, the biggest, most celebrated feast that they had. And he had told them, I'll go up in the right time, and that he did. He went up to Jerusalem, and he sort of laid low until just the right moment, and it was really the high point of the feast, the middle of the feast, when suddenly he stepped forth in the middle of all the people, and he began to teach. And these are the things that took place. We begin, if we could, again in verse 10. When his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him, or murmuring actually, private whispering one to another. Some said he is good, others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, then he shall know. I love that phrase, if anyone wants to do his will, then he shall know. Concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. John Calvin once said that God's word is its own validator. That as you come to listen to it here at the lips of Jesus, read it in the Bible. If you are willing to follow it, it will become its own validator in your life. And I really think that's what Jesus is saying here. They're all questioning him. What right do you have to stand in the temple and teach? You're just a nobody rabbi up from Galilee, dressed no doubt in peasant garments, not in the, the bright and colorful and elegant religious garments of the people that were there always ministering in the temple. And they're all challenging him. And in those days, everybody quoted someone else. They were always quoting Rabbi Hillel or Rabbi this guy or Rabbi that guy. Jesus comes along and he says, My words are from God directly. And if you want to know if they really are, if you're willing to do His will, you'll find out in your own life as you follow the words that I give to you. If you want to know if I'm really from God, respond to the words and the proof will be there in your life. And so there he stands among them. They're all challenging him. If anyone wants to do his will, verse 17, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Here we have a, an outline that I gave you last time, and that was that as Jesus stands in the midst, he has spirit-filled courage, we called it. He was, in the, in the truest sense, as you track his life and ministry through the Bible and the Gospels, he was a spirit-filled, spirit-made man. He was born of the Spirit, originally. He was conceived by the Spirit, is what I mean. He was born of the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him at the River Jordan. He was then led, driven by the Spirit, into the wilderness. So born of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And there with uh, the Word of God, he defeated the devil. And it's so tremendous to me to see how he did it. 
that there as he stands as a man, recently touched as a man, as it were, by the power of the Spirit of the River Jordan, now led by the Spirit, he comes into conflict with Satan. And rather than standing in front of Satan and saying, look, there isn't even a conflict here. I'm the Son of God. I don't have to put up with any temptation. I'm sinless. You know, rather than taking that whole approach, exiling him immediately into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels, rather than any of that. To me, the thing that is so encouraging along the lines of the Spirit-filled ability is that born of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, he stands and he quotes the words of the Spirit, the Word of God to the devil, and he defeats the devil by quoting the Word of God. And the great thing there is he is saying, by way of example to all of us, I don't have to be God to beat you. I only need to be a man born of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and quoting the words of the Spirit and standing upon them. I will beat you as a man, quoting the Word of God filled with the Spirit. And thus he leaves the example of Spirit-filled ability for all of us. He was in every sense, in every way, a Spirit-filled man. This is the kind of thing that God wants to do in your life and in mine, and that He's done so much already for so many of us. He had Spirit-filled courage, Spirit-filled ability. That leads us to the third thing in the outline, which was His Spirit-filled confirmations. And that's this whole thing about being willing to do the will of God. What happens is that as you respond, even from the very beginning, if you are willing, then God will meet you. I remember before I was a Christian, hearing from people that were witnessing to me, why don't you just pray that God will make you willing to be willing? Because I wasn't interested. I wasn't willing. Do you remember that? Did anybody ever say that to you? Why don't you just ask God to make you willing to be willing? And I remember in the privacy of my own heart, one day slipping off a quick prayer to God, almost not even wanting to let myself know, you know, that I was actually slipping off a prayer to God and saying, God, make me willing to be willing, you know, and then getting on with it real quick. So let's talk about this. I think many of us came along that way. And if you're not a Christian today, this is what God wants to do with you as well. It has to begin somewhere. You see, when you are willing before salvation, when you get to that point where somehow, I call it by the plowing of the Holy Spirit on your heart, but somehow, as you see it, suddenly you're concerned about God. Somehow, as you track your life, in recent days, months, even years, God has become more a part of your thinking. When you get to the point where you really just settle the issue, I want to be right with God, whatever that means. I want a relationship with God, whatever that means. Now you're ready to hear the words of Jesus. He said, if you are willing, you will know. You will know that my doctrine is from God. You will know that I am from God. You know that everything I say about myself is true. And this is how it works out. Jesus answered them, verse 16, and he said, My doctrine is not mine, but it's from him who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority, whether I'm just another guy coming along making great claims. You see, God will lead you to Jesus Christ. God himself will do it. When you come to the place where you want to be right with him, he will do it. It's like this. Suddenly it's as though light is coming into your life. It's as though into the darkness there is light. Suddenly in your life you begin to feel guilty for things when you haven't felt guilty about them at all before. And not only do you feel guilty, but you see the emptiness of things. This is the drawing power of God. The light breaks in upon you. Now what happens is you can make a choice. You can say, well, I don't want this light and try to push it back out from whence it came. Or you can say, the light has come. And I don't fully understand it, but I want to respond to it. Any man or woman anywhere on the earth who will respond to the light that God gives them, God will give them more light. And that is there in the statement of Jesus. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine. 
You respond to the light you've been given, and God will give you more light. I remember as the light came into my life that I began to just think about God. That was all, just to think about God. And then I thought about Him more, and then I thought about Him more. And in my own clumsiness, I began to go down the different paths, the different directions. And what happened was, God began to lead me. So that once I was moving, yes, I went to this place, yes, I went to that place, I went down a lot of dead-end streets, what I would call cul-de-sacs, you know, spiritually, and found them all to be empty and not the answer, but He led me to Christ. If you're at that place where you're feeling guilty for your sin, and it's even surprising to you, and you're suddenly feeling the emptiness of it more than ever before, The very things that have been your passion for so long are suddenly the very things that are boring you more than ever and it's leaving you frustrated. You're sick of the conversations that you've had for so long that seem so meaningful and all of a sudden it all seems empty. Well, you see, that's because God is preparing you for a brand new life by showing you the misery and the guilt and the emptiness of the life you have lived And He's wanting to lead you to the answer, which is Jesus Christ. This is how the Spirit of God works. He's allowed you to see that you might become willing, that in becoming willing, you might know that Christ is truly the answer for your life. You should pay attention deeply if that is a work going on in your life today and respond to it as much as you can. You see, in 2 Peter 3.9, I'll just read it to you. Then I'm going to have you turn somewhere else. But in 2 Peter 3.9... It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, in terms of Jesus Christ coming back again. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants you to come to repentance. God allows you, with the giving of His light, to see the emptiness of your life. He allows you, with the convicting work of His Spirit, to show you the guilt of your sin. He allows you, this is a privileged thing. He allows you to experience these things because He wants you to come to repentance, which is to turn from your sin and follow Christ and find the answers to life. You see, in Matthew 3.19, Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You go to the book of Revelation and you read there and Christ is talking and continually, He that has ears to hear. It's a message really that sounds forth all across the pages of the Bible. Do you have ears to hear? If you have ears to hear, then listen to what God would say to you, and He will say it deep down within the depths of your soul in such a way that you know it's a new thing, it's a different thing, and it must be God. You see, when you're willing to get right with God, He will step forth and He will pull you across every avenue, across every track, across every answer, past every guru, every prophet, and up to the only one who has the answer, and that's Jesus Christ. He will lead you, even if He has to do dramatic things to make it happen. Turn in your Bible to Acts. Let me show you an example of this, to Acts chapter 8. And here we have the account of the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, looking at verse 27. Last time I referred to this, but from a different angle. It was from the angle of the man that gets sent to this guy from Ethiopia, uh, Philip. And I pointed out that uh, the Spirit's ability in Philip's life, how he began as a deacon... They said uh, they were having a lot of trouble waiting on all of the uh, widows and all, getting them food and just taking care of them. So they said, look you out among you, a number of men, make sure they're filled with the Holy Spirit and faith. And so they gathered together some men like this. The next thing you know, uh, some of them continued to be raised up by God. Stephen, we know what happened with him. He became a great preacher. Philip, God continued to raise up. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, a man who was simply faithful in the crowd at church, was then chosen for an assignment to be sort of a deacon. And from there, as he was faithful, as he responded, God raised him up. The next thing you know, he's a preacher in Samaria, and a great revival broke out. Now, there is God working in Philip's life. Now, at the same time, 
This is amazing. At the same time, a man takes a journey from Ethiopia. He journeys all the way up to Jerusalem. And he does it at a very key time and for a very specific purpose. And yet, when it is all said and done, because at Jerusalem, the religion, and that's a good word for what was going on there, the religion that he found there did not lead him to a personal relationship with God. Thus, he is found by Philip leaving. He's going all the way back now to Ethiopia, and the thing he came looking for, he didn't find. He had become willing to get right with God. He had gone all the way to Jerusalem where he heard he could get right with God. Now he's been there and left. It's like so many that go in and out of churches trying to find God. And they get there and they don't find Him. And they continue their journey so frustrated. I grew up going in and out of churches my whole life and I never knew the Lord until God began to send His people to me that knew Him. And that's what happened here. And so we come to Acts 8, 27. So he arose and he went. Philip responds to the Lord. He actually, God loves this Ethiopian man so much that he actually takes Philip, who's in the midst of the greatest work of God in his life, out of this revival and from Samaria to the Gaza Strip, which is where I believe they were, is a long way. And there's nothing there. So he gets there and he says, Lord, here I am on this in this nowhere place in the desert, what now? All of a sudden he sees the dust flying. He hears the hooves of the horses, the chariot. And down the road comes this man. And as he approaches, he hears the man reading aloud from the scriptures. And all of a sudden Philip knows for sure that God has been in this thing all along. And so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. Do you imagine how high up this guy was in the government of Ethiopia? I mean, he's right up there. He's in charge of all the money. He's like the prime minister of the place. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, you see. He had come looking. And he was returning, returning empty, returning unsatisfied and still searching. And he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And I love this. Title of the message, Spirit-Filled Ability. The Spirit said to Philip. The Spirit said to Philip. Now whether he unzipped a bit of the air and words came out in writing in front of his face and he heard them in his ears, I doubt it. I think Philip had come to know the Lord in such a way, in the work of the Spirit in such a way, that the Spirit just impressed upon his heart. That's the way the Spirit talks to you. He puts impressions on your heart. So the Spirit said to Philip, though often, if I could just take a moment here, often, because we do have brains, uh, eventually those impressions must find their way from our hearts up into our brains and become articulated into thought. Would you agree with that? So though I would very carefully hesitate to say that God talks audibly to people all the time, though he could and he might, and if he wants to, certainly he would. But in general, he puts impressions on your heart. Those impressions are eventually articulated into thoughts in your mind and crystallized, and then you make your move in the direction you feel God is leading you to go. So the Spirit said to Philip. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And Philip ran to him and heard the reading of the prophet Isaiah. And you know, he ran because by now he'd left a big thing that was going on. He seemed to go to nothing. You may have been there in your life. Where he left something very exciting, seemed to go to nothing. When this thing came up, which is a man coming down the road reading the scriptures, he was so eager now to get on to what God had taken him all the way there for. And no doubt he had had his doubts when he got there. He was so eager now, he starts running. And he runs over to the man. And he comes to him in, in verse 30. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. I went all the way to Jerusalem. I'm going all the way home. And I still don't understand what's going on. All I know is there's this longing in my heart for God. 
How can I unless someone guides me? You can sense his frustration of his long journey. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? I'm reading this. My heart is arrested by it, but I don't understand what it means. He'd probably been reading it over and over and over and over. And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, just beginning, you can imagine the sermon that came out. I mean, this guy left preaching every day, revival everywhere, to walking down a desert road with nothing going on. He's got sermons running through his mind. Here is an open door to witness and beginning. And they've got all the time in the world. There's a long journey ahead and beginning. He just preached away. Beginning at the scripture, he preached Jesus to him because that's what he was reading about, the suffering of Christ at the cross. I ask you, you think that was a coincidence? That here is this frustrated man, just happens to be reading in the Old Testament a prophecy of the suffering of Jesus Christ at the cross. They're in the middle of nowhere, folks. He doesn't have a cell phone. He's riding along in a chariot, and a guy, a stranger, walks up out of nowhere at just the right time, and they connect. You see, what I'm telling you is this. When your heart becomes willing, God will do whatever is necessary to lead you to the full light of Jesus Christ. You say, what about that poor pygmy in Africa? Listen, pygmies have been across the pages of every National Geographic. People know where the pygmies are. So you go to any place in the world now and think about it. There's either somebody praying for them, or if there's nobody there, God is still able. Because he's not willing that any should perish. If there's a willing heart, he will do what is necessary. To me, this is a dramatic example of that. This man had to go way out from his country, and he's on the way back thinking he doesn't have the answer. But God was there all the time working it out. So he preached unto him Christ. And in verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Tell you the thoroughness of the message he got from Philip. Beginning there, he preached away. By the time he was done, he understood water baptism and everything. What has hindered me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You understand this man started at a place in his life where he simply became willing. He began to think about God. He thought about God more and more. He thought about God to the point where it was an overwhelming passion to him. He took a long journey to find the answers. That's how all-consuming it was. When you get to that place, it's because God has brought you to that place. And he intends to bring you not to Muhammad, not to Buddha, not to anyone but himself. And that is Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. And if you will come, he will take you. That's the way it is. God will lead you to Jesus Christ. You know what I see here, for those of you that are Christians already, you know what I see as an encouraging challenge? That there are conversions waiting to happen out there. They're just waiting to happen. You might be one of those people who says, Oh, I don't know, I'm so timid. I've always been shy. Timid Tim, that's my nickname. I mean, I'm just, I just don't have that boisterous talk-to-anybody gift. Listen, there are people out there that are already seeking. God has already prepared them. And when we become open and say, God, lead me to those people, He does it. I remember making a comment like this one time in a sermon, and I said, look, just go out and ask God to send the easy ones your way. And the very next day, one of the people in our church was sitting on a bus stop bench, sitting at the bench, and said, Lord, just send me an easy one. Let's just try this out here. person sat down next to them, started talking, and within seconds, there it was, the open door, and away they went, and she led the other person to Christ. You see, they're out there, conversions waiting to happen. Let God send you looking for them. 
So God will lead you to Jesus Christ. You know, another thing that happens afterwards is that he makes himself real to you in Jesus Christ. He brings you up out of the darkness into the light, into the full light of Christ until you come to believe on him and you become born again. You become a Christian. But then from there, he begins to make himself real to you. It doesn't end there. It only begins there. He makes himself real to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wants to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine. He will know. I've been reading over that for weeks where Jesus said he will know. And something kept gnawing at me. Look it up in the Greek. See what the word know is. So finally I looked it up. It's the Greek word gnosko. And it's the idea of coming to know by experience. If any man is willing to do my will, then he will come to the place where he knows by experience. It's from the touch of God's hand on your life. It becomes your experience. Thayer points out in his Greek definitions that this word is actually a Jewish idiom for intimacy between a man and a woman. That's why you find that in the Bible. And he knew his wife and they bore a son, this kind of thing. So that it's to know by experience. And I came across a very interesting rendering of the word, gnosko, the Greek word. Turn in your Bible, I want to show it to you, to Mark 5. Mark 5, 25. And here is the account of a woman who had suffered so greatly... Not for one year, two, or three, but for 12 solid years. And she had an affliction of bleeding. For 12 years, she had a problem bleeding. And it says here in verse 25, A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I'm going to read it to you from the NIV. It helps make it a little clearer here on some of the issues. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Frustration. You see it? A picture of frustration. One doctor after the next without an answer. And she spent all that she had. She went broke trying to get better, but instead she only grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Who do you think put that thought in her head? She is in the middle of a gigantic crowd. Usually there's thousands of people pressing in on Jesus. She must have been very aggressive that day. Reminds me of the Ethiopian eunuch. And here she comes. She's pressing her way through the crowd. And she thinks to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says, and immediately, immediately, her bleeding stopped. Twelve years of bleeding. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And here is the thing I want to show you. And she felt in her body, she was freed from her suffering. Do you know that the word felt there is the Greek word gnosko? She experienced it. After 12 years of frustration, this was a massive experience. It was literally physical. She felt God inside of her body. She felt God within her working. She was having a personal experience with God. Jesus said, if anyone is willing, you will know. The Greek is gnosko, know by experience. Here is a woman getting healed. It's such a graphic picture. And the same word is used. She felt it. What happens then, the reason I bring up this as an example, and and by the way, if you read on, Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? Well, how could you say that in the middle of a crowd like this? He says, Look, someone touched me because I perceive virtue has gone out of me. You see, his life went out from him into her. She experienced the touch of God upon her life. She felt in her body the touch of God upon her life, a personal experience of God and Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't just end with turning from your sin to Christ. It begins there. And from there, he says, if you're willing, you will know. You come to know God by personal experience. God makes himself real to you in Jesus Christ. And that is what is so thrilling. That's why... 
Calvin said that the Word of God is a self-validator. You simply follow it. You're simply willing and you follow it and then God meets you in the way and confirms it to you. He makes it real. Jesus standing in the temple. He's saying, you're judging me for my outfit, peasant rabbi. You stand in your great expensive religious garments and you judge me as a nobody from nowhere. I don't quote your famous rabbi, so you discount me as a teacher. I tell you this, if you are willing to open your heart and come to God, He will prove to you that I stand above and beyond and separate from all your favorite teachers as the one who is truly sent from God. And you will find out in your life, in your life, that it's true. Nicodemus found that out. And later we read in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and many of the priests believed on Him. took a while. But many of them eventually came around. So when you are willing before salvation, he comes and he confirms God's work to you. Let's talk about when you're willing after salvation. You get to know him personally, but then let's talk about, that's all the initial thing. Let's talk about afterwards as you've been walking with him now. Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will... He shall know concerning the doctrine. You know what's so tremendous to me? It's true before salvation. It's true at salvation as you begin to get to know God personally. And it's true forever after. As I am willing, I come to know the will of God in my life. I come to experience God at work in my life. And you know what is the key? Willing. It's the idea of obedience. You see, obedience is the key to a great experience of God's will in your life. Obedience. Let me put it to you a different way. It's so important that we understand grace. So important. And I was so thrilled with our discussion recently in the men's fellowship about the grace of God and how critical that is for the foundation in your life. But you must understand that though every blessing is based on the grace of God, undeserved, unmerited favor for you, that at the same time, God doesn't deal with us as robots, and it isn't a one-way thing where He just showers out blessings your way, and you catch one whenever you feel like it. Whether you want to seek Him or not, you just reach up and catch a blessing or two and go on your way. What God wants is not robots... And God doesn't just randomly throw His blessings out. What He wants, He wants an interactive relationship with you. You understand that? What He wants is He wants you to come to His Word and see what is there, and then He wants you to put Him to the test even. He wants you to come willing, and then He will show you. So that obedience then becomes the great key to enjoying and experiencing, discovering the will of God. Let me show you. Turn in your Bible to Malachi. Malachi to chapter 3, looking at verse 10. If you don't know where Malachi is, go to Matthew and hang a quick left. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3.10. I actually typed it into my computer wrong today. I typed in Malici and it wouldn't take it. (laughs) I put an I. I thought he was an Italian prophet for a minute and I... I had to put the A in, then it took it. Anyway, go to Malici. (laughs) Malici 3.10. And here is a great interactive account with God and His people. They have come to the point where the uh, temple, the whole area where they worship God is in shambles. And as they're working very hard, there's really... Nothing to show for it. So the Lord says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Get your giving right with me. Start giving to the Lord's work. And he says that there may be food in my house because that's how they did it. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, prove me or test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for in it. That's an interactive relationship with God, isn't it? It involves obedience. You come and you do this. 
There is a sense in the Christian life in which doing leads to further light and experience. Very real sense. If any man is willing, he shall know. God says, you come, you obey, you respond, and I'll prove it. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And then look, he promises even protection. In verse 11, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. God is, if we could put it very simply, he's saying to his people, look, you need to give to my work. Some of you are wondering why everything's devouring your life. You're not blessed. You need to start giving and I will prove that I'm your provider. It is an interactive relationship there. I can remember in my life, literally walking around our apartment. This was years ago when we first got married. And I wasn't giving at church. When the bag came by, you never saw a hand move so quick in your whole life. Not to reach in it, but to pass it by. To pass it by. Just to get that thing away from me. And I hated silver trays when they came by, of all things. How could someone have a silver tray so you see what everybody gives? Although, maybe they have those, so you'll be pressured. Anyway, I wasn't giving. For the longest time, I thought, no, oh, I've given before, I've not given, I've given, I've given every little... If I even found a little money in the ground, I'd go tie the portion of it. So I went from great concern to no concern. But I also went from seeing God's hand provide in so many miraculous ways in my life to seeing nothing. So here I am, I'm walking through the house and I'm yelling, Where's the blessing of my life? My wife from the other room, prophet that she is, she says, you never give to the Lord anymore. I said, you think it's connected? <laughs> said the man who thought the book was called Malichi. <laughs> she said, I think it's connected. You know, the funny thing is, is how God sends people to us when, when we won't listen. It wasn't too long after that. Her uncle came to me and, and he said, uh, I understand tells me that you feel like you don't have God's blessing. Probably <laughs> like get a hold of her, you know, telling people now I don't have God's blessing. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, I challenge you. I challenge you to start giving at church and see if God doesn't pour out a blessing you can't contain. I said, you think it's connected? We were sitting in a restaurant. I remember it like this a minute ago. He said, and he told me his story. He said, just try it. Start immediately, you know, this week. So we began to do it, and God began to bless, and, and there's so many stories connected with it. You know, the famous checks in the mail when you have no more money. It's like, thanks, Lord, I tithe, I gave, and now I have no money. Thanks a lot, God. But then the check comes, and the mail that was bigger than the amount you gave, you know. And you're thinking, it's Vegas with God. I'm really going to go for this now. I'm on a winning streak. You know, our motivations are so weird. But God has blessed. Just one example of an interactive relationship with God. You see, an obedient attitude leads to the discovery of God's will in your life. If anyone wants to do His will, he will know. So often we wonder what God's will is, don't we? I mean, people come to me constantly wondering what the will of God is. How do I know what God's will is for me? It's right here. If you want to do it, you'll know. He has ways of showing you. I came at some point in my life along the way to the realization God is big enough to communicate to me, especially when I'm listening. And He's big enough to get my attention even when I'm not. Therefore, I have a great confidence that when I want to do His will, that He will communicate with me and I will know what His will is. It's a tremendous way to live. Do you wonder what God's will is for your life? Listen, if you are willing, if you're truly willing, you will know. Turn in your Bible to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Paul talks about the will of God here. He connects it with the same thing of being willing, offering your life, having an obedient attitude. Romans 12.1, but notice how he, he bases it all on the foundation of grace, 11 chapters of phenomenal teaching on grace. 
after 11 chapters of sheer grace, where they're fixed, they're grounded, they're solid, then he says, based on that as the ultimate motivation, it's time for you to get involved with God. So he says, this is what God has done. This is what you do. And the two of you will connect and it will be good. It will be perfect. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your reasonable service. Literally, it's a spiritual act of worship. That's the literal meaning of it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some nice practical steps to take. How do I do this? Stop being conformed to the world. Start bringing yourself to God. Let the Word of God transform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice the order. You come with a willing heart, and then you know. Jesus said, if anyone is willing, he will know. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Look at that and ask yourself a question. How much of God's will do you think you personally have missed out on so far in your life from not being willing? From thinking, surely you know a better way than God does. God, take this in this area, I'll take the rest. Got it all covered. How much of His will do you think you've missed out on? You see, I can tell you this, my will is not good and perfect, and His is. Therefore, His is the better way. You see, George Mueller discovered that secret. We read the life of George Mueller. We've read it several times here in this church in different forms, one another, different fellowships that we've had, you come to marvel at the man's life, at the blessing of God, even miraculously on his life. He was a a man who started many orphanages, was responsible for raising children with great care and love and leading so many to Christ. He pastored several churches. He preached into his 90s, even preached up to the last Sunday of his life. And all along the way, he had this interactive personal experience of God and His will. When asked his secret, this is what he said. He said, here's my steps that I take. He said, on a given issue, he said, I seek at the beginning to get my heart in such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. He said, you know, nine-tenths of the trouble with people is right there. Nine-tenths of the difficulties, he said, are overcome when our hearts are simply ready to do God's will, whatever it is. He says, when one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. That's so good. If I can just jump in on his comments, if I comment on his comments. I mean, it's just a little way from there. That's what Jesus was saying. When you are willing, you will know. When you finally get to the point on a given issue where you say, Lord, your will be done, and I mean it, then you will know. You will know. He said, when one is truly in this state is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Then he said an interesting thing. He said, but at that point, I don't just leave the result to my feelings. He said, if I just stop there with my feelings, I might get myself in trouble. He said, so what I do is I go directly then to the word of God. I get my heart right, and then I go to the word of God. And he said, then in the word... I let God speak to me from the Word, and He says, The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit of the Lord alone without the Word, then I lay myself open to great delusions. How many things, let me comment again on His comments, how many things have you heard said by people that the Spirit did this, He said that, He led this, He led that, and you know you know as you measure it with the Bible, it could not possibly have been the Spirit. That's what he's warning about. So much heresy and heartache could be avoided in the church if people would take the Spirit and the Word and compare the two. He says, if I look to the Spirit of the Lord without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions. He says, if the Holy Spirit guides us at all, 
He will do it in accordance to the scriptures and never contrary to them. And that's right. So here it is. He says, I get myself to the point where I'm willing. Then I come to the scriptures and I let the Spirit speak to me what I think He's leading me to do. And then I compare it with what the Bible says. He says, then I look around at providential circumstances. What is God arranging in my life? What people has He been sending to me? What doors are opening up to me? What seems to be a pattern in the circumstances of my life? I compare that with what I feel the leading of God in my heart, what I'm seeing in the Word, and then I begin to make some conclusions. He says from there, I go straight to God and I ask Him straight away in prayer, just exactly, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And he says he has never failed to show me along the way what his will is. Now we're back to what Jesus said. If anyone is willing, you will know. You will know. That's the secret. And so it is that an obedient attitude leads to the discovery of God's will. And you know what happens after that? The enjoyment. Paul said, you'll find out it's good. It's perfect. It's pleasing. Oh, Lord, your way is the best way. Why didn't I think of this so long ago? Why have I been going my way all these years? You know, some of you, after all these years, you're still crazy after all these years. You're still going your way instead of His way. Maybe God is saying to you tonight, it's time to make a change. To make it His will, not yours. To go the good and perfect will, not your will, which is wrong, always frustrating. How blessed it is to experience the will of God, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 8, he said, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. In John fifteen ten, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I like that. You will abide in my love. It's beyond a tasting. It's living in it. You will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You know, as His disciples watched His life, surely what they saw was a blessed life. You don't find Jesus walking around the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane. Where's the blessing on my life? You know, you didn't find that. What they saw was a blessed life. It was that woman after 12 years of agony. She saw that blessed life. She wanted to get as close to it as she possibly could. And as soon as she did, the virtue of God went into her. Touch of the Master's hand on her life. You find God's will to be so good. I can tell you honestly, if any one of you in here think you have a wayward heart, I do believe I could give you a good run for your money. Because rebellion is bound in the heart of us all. It's there in all of us, isn't it? And it seems that we get cleverer rationales as we go along. Every man's cause, every man's cause, that includes women, every woman's cause is right in their own eyes. But God's way is the only way that really is right after all. I thank God that when I'm willing, I do know. And I thank God, you know, I look at the results, I look at the life of Philip. I look at the life of a man who started somewhere in a conversion from his sin ends up being used a little bit in church, then used even more, then starts getting up into those high-level experiences with God that are unusual and greatly blessed. I look at, you know, James and John and Peter, and I see they were called later ignorant and unlearned men. They said, look at what... These are ignorant and unlearned men that are speaking like this. I see Jesus in the temple, and they're marveling. They're saying, look at him with his peasant outfit and his from Galilee and look at how he speaks and oh how my heart something funny I feel as I listen to him and you know he's not like others and and they began to realize that even though he had never gone to the schools there was something about him that was beyond anyone in any of the schools and he turns to them and he says you feel it don't you he says if you're willing you'll know what I'm knowing, what I'm feeling, the Spirit-led, Spirit-enabled life. It's the touch of God's hand on your life, and He wants to touch every one of you. And some of you, He's he's blessed so much already. Nothing like the Spirit of God 
to come, as the Bible says, I dug you from a miry pit to take you from worthlessness and make you so blessedly useful. You know, that miry pit, Philip Keller commented on it that he once was on a journey. I think he was up in the Himalayas and he found a man who was a potter and he was working with some clay. And he said, where'd you get this clay? And the guy says, come here, I'll show you. He took him back to a little shack, opened the doors, and it smelled awful. It was damp and dark. He said, come. And he, said, he opened up a board off the floor, and there was, oh, oh, that's where the smell was coming from. He said, put the board back on. He said, no, you want to see where the clay comes from. And he pulled a big handful of it out. It's, oh, it smelled so bad, sort of mildewy, rotting, filthy stuff. And he says, this is the clay that I used to make those great things you saw out there. I pull it up out of a miry pit. And Philip Keller says, as I looked into that hole, I thought of my own life and how God had taken me from worthlessness. And with the touch of his hands, he turned me into something very, very valuable. It's what he wants to do for you. And he's doing with all of us that have come to him. Listen to this. I want to close with this. It's a great poem. I think of it often. It's about a violin that was being auctioned and it was absolutely worthless. And the auctioneer comes up. He's almost laughing to even offer it. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to spend much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding for this?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me?' A dollar, one dollar, then two, two, only two, say three. Along he went, three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but lo. From the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody passing sweet that kind that haunts and clings. The crowd was hushed as the music went on, and finally the music ceased. The auctioneer, with a voice that was soft and low, said, Now what's bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars! Who'll make a two? Two thousand dollars, say three! Three thousand once, three thousand twice, gone! Three thousand, said he. The people cheered, and some explained, We do not quite understand. What changed its worth? And the answer came, the touch of the Master's hand. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the touch of your hand upon our lives. Thank you that when we are willing, we do know. And what we come to know is so far beyond what we ever expected. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work of your Spirit within us. We come to you, we look to you even now to be renewed by that great work. Lord, for those that do not yet know this work, draw them up into that saving relationship with you this day. Lift them, Lord, from the miry pit into the heavenly places with you. Take them, Lord, from a worthless life and make of them what only you can, a very valuable, priceless Son or daughter of God. Lord, we bless and praise you for your wonderful work, and we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.